Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Fight fans, we welcome you into another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio, and joining us on the program today, we've got a big one planned. Chris Maddox and Ryan Garcia coming up on the show. Now, a lot of big fights on the 2020 schedule, but none bigger than Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. We saw them face off for the very first time at a press conference last week. And I have a few takeaways, mostly the stoic Deontay Wilder. Now, Deontay Wilder was a guy that was clearly rattled by Tyson Fury in their first go-around in this fight. Who can forget the till-this-day outburst from Deontay Wilder? Who can forget Deontay Wilder talking about losing three pounds in his sleep from the weigh-in till fight night? This time around, it looked like Deontay Wilder was more at ease. It looked like we are seeing a much mature Deontay Wilder. On the flip side of things, you look at Tyson Fury. Now, he'll always be the more at ease fighter. He'll always be the more vocal of the two. But it was the words that were coming out of Tyson Fury's mouth that made me much more cautious. No, I'm not talking about his claim to be masturbating seven times a day. I'm talking about him bringing up retirement. I'm talking about Tyson Fury bringing up the WWE. I'm talking about Tyson Fury talking about his farewell fights. He talked about everything but the fight with Deontay Wilder up on that stage. Now, Tyson Fury has always been his worst enemy. All the problems in his past are self-inflicted wounds, and it's great that he has righted the ship and he is forging forward with this comeback. But he is a guy that needs to be motivated in order to win. In his first fight with Vladimir Klitschko, it was to become the heavyweight champion. In his fight with Deontay Wilder, it was to prove the naysayers wrong as he was on his comeback trail losing all that weight. What is his motivation for this second fight? He's already, the general consensus is that he already won the first fight. He's already climbed the mountain that is Deontay Wilder. When you have a fighter that's talking about retirement, it has shown not to be a good thing. The mindset of Tyson Fury is something to keep an eye on as we move forward. Coming up next here on Inside Boxing Live, we sit down with the young champ, the rising star, Ryan Garcia. Our next interview on Inside Boxing Live is brought to you by Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located just a few steps away from Madison Square Garden and Times Square. Go into Jack Doyle's for all your entertainment needs. From happy hours to birthday parties to private events, Jack Doyle's has you covered. Once again, that's Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located on 240 West 35th Street. Joining us now inside Boxing Live, he is the man, Ryan Garcia. He's got a big fight coming up on Valentine's Day on the zone, going up against Francisco Fonseca. But I'm going to go three rounds right now with the superstar, Ryan Garcia. Ryan, would you rather eat all your food through a straw or have the food tossed in your mouth for the rest of your life? Uh, I would have to go with getting it tossed in my mouth. Okay, and why would you go with that? Uh, just because, you know, I never have to, you know, move a finger to eat, you know, people are going to be feeding me all day and that would feel really good. But it's not exactly feeding, they're tossing it. So if you say you want lasagna, that could get a little messy. They have to toss it in my mouth? Toss it, toss it for the rest of your life or eat it through a straw. So somebody is tossing it in my mouth? Yes, you don't know who. It could be Patrick Mahomes, it could be very accurate, Uh, or it could be just some guy just sitting there just just throwing it and you just have to, that's your own way Well, I'm still going to have to go with that because, you know, I would never have to lift a finger in my life to eat. 
I kind of get the feeling you don't have to lift a finger coming up for the, for the rest of your life if your career keeps going up. Next <laughs> round here. Could you beat Logan and Jake Paul at the same time? I could do that with one hand tied behind my back with uh, an eye patch on my uh, eye. <laughs> wow, fighting words. Uh, what do you think about them getting into the ring? You're, you guys are buddies uh, with both the Pauls. What do you think about them fighting? Uh, I think, you know, for their experience level, they're pretty, they're not too shabby. You know, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty good for the experience they have. Uh, it's cool that they're trying out boxing and, you know, that, that's that. Lastly, for three rounds with Ryan Garcia, this is off the heels of the Astros cheating scandal in baseball. Would you rather fight a guy that you know is on steroids or fight a guy that knows exactly what punches you're about to throw? Oh, wow. I would have to go with uh, steroids. Uh, I don't want a guy knowing every uh, every punch I'm going to throw before I throw it. So, yeah, definitely I'll fight the guy on steroids because it wouldn't matter. Right. Do you feel like uh, that's what a lot of the baseball players are saying, too? They say they much rather a pitcher would much rather face a guy on steroids rather than know exactly what pitches are coming. Right. Right. I get that. There it is. Three rounds with the champ, Ryan Garcia. Now let's move into... What's going on in your career now? St. Valentine's Day, Ryan Garcia, that seems like a match made in heaven. Are you expecting dates to go to the fight? Or do you are you expecting single girls that maybe will try to get a date with you afterwards? You said, uh, what kind of fight do I expect from Francisco? Yes, well, we'll go with that, yes. <laughs> uh, well, I expect that he's going to... Uh... I expect, you know, he's going to fight out of character. He's going to try to rough me up, but I'm going to be honest with you. He doesn't hit hard enough to rough me up, and he doesn't hit hard enough to scare me. So I'm going to be taking it to him, and hopefully it's a war, but honestly, I don't think it will be. Now, you got a couple fights under your belt with Team Canelo. Uh, you know, those guys, the Reynosos now trainer of the year for the Boxing Ride Association. What have you learned? What have you picked up now? Now, this is maybe your third or fourth fight with, with a new trainer, so you got to feel like you guys are getting into a rhythm now. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, training with Eddie has been great. Uh, my skills have just imp been improving, you know. Uh, as the years go by, uh, I feel like, you know, my body's getting stronger. I'm getting smarter. And everything's coming together. Uh, I'm going to be coming into my prime pretty soon. So you guys are going to see the best of me uh, this coming years to come. When I interviewed you about a year ago in New York City, you talked about how maybe you could fill up to 147 Where's the weight at, and where do you see yourself fighting at, settling in? Uh, well, my weight, uh, I could keep it down. You know, I'm very disciplined on what I eat and what I don't eat. So right now I'm walking around 140, and my fight's at 135. So uh, I'm very comfortable at 135. I won a world title at this weight class, and then after that, uh, maybe I can move up. 40, you're landing 44% of your power shots over your last three fights. They say when you get into that 44% that, to that 50%, you're almost unstoppable when you're able to land that many power shots. Yeah, you know, uh, that's what I've been uh, good at since I was in the amateurs, my accuracy. You know, even when I wasn't that skilled or that technical, uh, I still won a lot of my fights because I was so accurate on my punches, you know. So uh, I think that's carried on to my professional uh, career, you know, my accuracy has always been my number one asset. Yeah, that's what we do at CompuBox. You make it a lot easier on us to do our job when you're landing all those shots. You bring up your amateur career. I looked at your, your, your uh, on BoxRec, 17 and 15. What a, what an up-and-down career, but you also have wins over Devin Haney, Shakur Stevenson, and Virgil Ortiz. Out of those three, who gave you your toughest fight in the amateurs? 
Did you say that uh, Boxerex said my my record was seventeen and sixteen in the amateurs? Yeah, was that is that correct? First of all, bullshit. <laughs> uh, my my record was not seventeen sixteen. My record was two hundred and twenty five wins with fifteen losses. <laughs> They're way off then, because it says 17 and 15. I was like, that cannot be right. There's no way anyone would start a career like that and keep this, keep going on with the sport. How could I even... I wouldn't even say I had an amateur record if that was my record. <laughs> it had to be wrong, but you, you have big wins over Haney, Shakur Stevenson, Virgil Ortiz. What was it like fighting those guys in the amateurs, and do you think you'll meet again up in the pros? You know, in the amateurs, nobody really thought anybody was like... You know, until the end of our uh, amateur career, then that's when people knew who was good. But in the beginning, you know, I was just fighting another guy, you know, with Virgil Ortiz and uh, with Shakur Stevenson, Haney. A lot of those guys were just an- a guy I had to face. And then towards the end, the main ones was Virgil Ortiz, uh, Devin Haney, and a couple other guys. And I beat all of them. So uh, so it's all good. Um, the, uh, Devin only posted the fight that uh he won and he'll keep replaying that over and over again <laughs> it's funny because it's the same fight but the fight i fought him and beat him i heard him though that's why he was he in the in the in the next fight after that he didn't stand there with me he just he just kept moving kept moving but you know i'm a way better fighter now so uh, i'm looking forward to that fight in the pros and yeah uh, yeah, that's a fight I feel it can get made. I mean, look at the pol- politics aside. You guys both fight on on the zone, and then you have a history. You're both up and coming uh, superstars in the game. Do you think that's a fight? Is that a fight that you want? I know you have grand aspirations in the sport. Yeah, that fight's gonna have to marinate a little longer. But one thing I will tell you though, I think that's a harder fight than Javante Davis. I think Devin Haney's a harder fight just because he's longer. Uh, he has better boxing skills and. You know, I, I think overall he's smarter in the ring. Javante is a power puncher, but that's about it. You guys have been sparring back and forth. Who's the bigger star? Uh, have you have you come to a conclusion? Is it Ryan Garcia or is it Javante Davis? Who's the bigger star? You, who's the biggest star? I mean, you guys have uh, been sparring. I don't know who the biggest star <laughs> is. Uh, I think the people are going to have to say that. Obviously, I feel like I'm the bigger star and he feels like he is, but... You know, we're going to let the people decide that. Yeah, I see a lot of cameras flashing. You know, it's funny, though. People often confuse the biggest star with the better fighter. And then, right. you know, I got a lot of haters. So they're going to say, ah, oh, nah, Javante's this, Javante's that. But in the end of the day, I am the bigger star. But, you know, people don't people confuse that with better fighters. So, yeah. And I have a lot of haters. So they're not going to ever say I am. The haters motivate you. It means you're doing something right. What does it feel like when in your phone having 4.5 million people living in your phone? Uh, I just feel like blessed because those 4.5 million people, most of them are fans, you know, and you can imagine how many followers I actually have because think about it. Haters ain't going to follow me. So I probably have about like 10 million followers right now. You know, it's funny because I have friends that don't watch boxing, but they know exactly who you are. They know when you're fighting next. Do you take pride in, in building up this new type of boxing superstar? I've read that you want to do a fighter meetup after a fight. I think it's great, but do you take pride in the fact that you're bringing new eyeballs to the sport? Yeah, I feel like, you know, uh, I'm just bringing boxing to this new generation to make it, you know, available and everybody could understand it a little better, you know. Uh, back in the day, it was if you were on HBO or Showtime, then you were known. But now it's like you could get known through social media, through your fights, through everything, you know. And I think I brought that to the new generation and I'm bringing boxing to the new generation and I feel good about that. And I'm just getting started. I'm only 21. I'm going to bring it everywhere, you know? So uh, 
just just keep watching. Do you read your comments on Instagram? Do you go through those comments sometimes? Hell no, I don't read all my <laughs> comments because, like, think about it. Think about it. If I did pay attention to all those comments, I'm only going to pay attention to the ones that are bad right. because you don't pay attention to the good ones. How about this? What's How do you make the difference between posting something to a story or to a regular post? I couldn't hear you. I said, how do you go from deciding whether to post something to a story or a regular post on Instagram? I think a lot of people struggle with that. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I just pretty much anything I'm going to post on my main account, it has to be something I really like. Right. If I post on my story, then it's going to be something that, you know, just an everyday thing, nothing special, you mm. know. I saw you post something with Mahomes. Who do you think is to win the Super Bowl? Chiefs or oh, Niners? I, I think the Chiefs are going to win because of Patrick Mahomes. I think he's unstoppable. I think he's a smart player. Um, I've seen how, you know, he could run run with the ball. Uh, make quick decisions, and you know he's just a, he's just on fire right now. Patrick Mahomes is gonna take it all the way. Do you watch other sports? I feel I know you were an athlete. I think you played baseball growing up. You watch other sports? I watch pretty much every sport, but uh, but baseball. Yeah, that's baseball's that dying old demographic. You got to get back into that. But lastly, before you let you go, you called some fights for the zone with the with the uh, Paul fight versus KSI. How was that experience? And could we maybe see you call more fights? Maybe be a broadcaster one day. Uh, you said, you said, can you repeat that again? Did you enjoy calling the fights for the zone? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, it was all right. Um, it wasn't my favorite thing to do. It's actually a lot more work than you think it is. I'm actually going to do it again. It's funny me saying that, but I'm actually going to do it again. <laughs> Are you doing uh, it in Miami? January 30th. I'm going to be covering uh, the fights in Miami. All right. I'm going to be down there too. We got to link up and uh, I got I want you to read some mean tweets. It's something that I've been doing with a lot of different fighters uh, they read some tweets about them, and then you react. I think we should do that in Miami. Oh, no way. That's cool. All right. Well, then I'll see you out there in Miami. Let's go. King Rye and Dan Canobio down in South Beach. But December, uh, February 14th, on the zone, Ryan Garcia, Francisco Fonseca. One last selling point to everyone out there to download the app. What are you gonna? How do you sell this fight? Lay it down for us. I'm going to sell this fight. Well, you're going to see how I do against... Uh, a, a similar opponent as in Tampa Farmer Javante Davis. So you're going to see where I rank up. And, you know, it's going to set up for a mega fight with me and Javante. So you have to stay tuned because this is like uh, this fight is going to convince the public that I'm ready for those big names. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to see the story unfold. And the only way you're going to be able to see it is February 14th live on the zone. If you miss it, well, then you're missing a part of my story and part of my legacy. There it is, Ryan Garcia. Big fights on the horizon. A lot of th big things coming your way. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you. Peace. Our next interview on Inside Boxing Live is brought to you by Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located just a few steps away from Madison Square Garden and Times Square. Go into Jack Doyle's for all your entertainment needs. From happy hours to birthday parties to private events, Jack Doyle's has you covered. Once again, that's Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located on 240 West 35th Street. Joining us now here on Inside Boxing Live, you can catch him on the zone as a ringside broadcaster, as well as read his work on SI.com. He covers basketball and boxing uh, for that website. Of course, I'm talking about Chris Maddox. So Chris, King James is in Boston. I assume the buzz is through the roof. I mean, I think the buzz in Boston right now is what's wrong with the Celtics, and I think they'll take any wins any way they get. But, you know, once a year, LeBron comes to Boston. It's always a big deal. 
Now, when you go to games, do you ever like look back or, or take a look at, at the ball boys, kind of size them up, and be like, man, these guys, it, nothing compared to what I did back in the 90s? Well, some of them are still there, but I was uh, working with in the late 1990s, uh, early 2000s. Uh, some of them, you know, they've advanced to higher levels of the ball boy hierarchy, I guess, but uh, they are still around. And it's still the same job. You mop floors when you start, and then you get to work behind benches and do stuff in locker rooms. I, I've always said it was the best college job I could have had because I walked out of there with anywhere from 100 to 200 bucks every single night. and. That goes a long way at the dollar draft bars I visited. It does. And glad to see you've graduated from, from, from that until, until what you're doing now. Let's yeah. talk about boxing. Let's talk about what we saw most recently this weekend. 154-pound picture is just up in, up in flames right now. You had a uh, Jason Rosario upset J-Rock. What I want to know about the 154 uh, division is, do you think the division is this good because they're all fighting each other, or is it this good because each guy... Kind of has a flaw. Well, I think it's a little bit of both, right? I don't think there is a perfect fighter at 154 pounds. I think you can argue that Jermel Charlo is the closest thing to it, but we all saw the fight he had against Tony Harrison. He struggled for significant portions of that fight when Harrison was walking him down. Uh, so there are some weaknesses there, but you know it was a, a pretty big upset when J Rock knocked off Jared Hurd. It was even bigger upset when Rosario knocked off J Rock. So I think that it, it definitely is competitive, and they all are fighting each other. But it's almost like the heavyweight division in a way, where each of the top fighters has incredible strengths, but they all have significant weaknesses that you can see that are plain as day. So I'm looking forward to it. I think. Given that they're all on the PBC side of the street, you can make some really compelling matchups over the next 18 months to decide who is the top 154 in the world. And I also think that PBC kind of, this kind of fell in, into their lap. And it's also, it could be a case study for the sport of boxing. Take a look at 154. It's one of the hottest divisions. And it's all because everyone is fighting each other. They're all beating each other. I think boxing could take a lesson from the 154-pound division to show that losses don't mean as much as you think to the promoters. You don't have to protect that O. If they're all fighting each other and they're all beating each other, it's exciting because people are talking about the 154-pound division. Do you think other divisions could take a lesson from that? I know it's obviously you can't do anything about it because it just happens to be under one promotional uh, outfit. But if you take a look at the 154-pound division, I mean, this could be what boxing could be all about. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, like most people, believe losses are incredibly overrated. You know, I, whenever casual fans ask me about a guy's record, I point out that Muhammad Ali had five losses. Uh, Sugar Ray Robinson had 19 losses. And these are two guys considered the greatest of all time. So losses should not be considered relevant when you use that historical context. I think it is helpful when you have guys that aren't necessarily the most popular in the world. I mean, none of these guys are necessarily high-level mainstream attractions. That's why they kind of have to fight each other and have to keep building up their personal brand. I'd love to see it done more at middleweight. I think middleweight, on, especially on the DAZN, Eddie Hearn, uh, and Oscar De La Hoya's side of the street, you've got all the compelling matchups, but you've got guys that are fairly well-known commodities already. Canelo can pick and choose who he wants to fight. Golovkin can pick and choose who he wants to fight. There's almost a... I don't want to call it desperation at 154, but these guys are fighting each other because whoever emerges from this kind of round robin in the next 18 months would be in a great position for a super fight with maybe a Canelo down the line. 
Speaking of Canelo, that's the next topic I want to talk about. Do you see a lot of guys at 160 now potentially going up to 168 or to chase Canelo? Do you think wherever Canelo goes, those guys that are at 160, the Andrades, uh, Golovkin can move up to 168? I know it's probably hell on his body trying to make 160. Do you think guys at 160 will now try to follow around uh, Canelo? You know, I don't think they try to follow him around. I think they go to it if that's what Canelo wants. Um, take Gennady Golovkin, for example. If that fight happens in September, I have no doubt it'll be at 168 pounds. I think you, you can quasi-sell it with Canelo's fake 168-pound title. Or if he fights Billy Joe Saunders and gets a real one, that could make that fight attractive from a promotional standpoint to fight at 168. And you can argue that it's a different type of fight. If both guys are bigger, maybe Golovkin's a little bit better at 168. Canelo, is he as good at 168 as he was at 160? I think it's more marketable. I don't think the other guys necessarily follow him. I think Andrade would fight him at 160. But for Andrade, 2020 should not be about Canelo Alvarez. 2020 should be about Luke Keeler first. That's in Miami. But after that, it should be Jamal Charlo. Yes. And after that, it should be Sergey Derevchenko. He needs to get a couple of significant wins on his resume so that 2021 is about pursuing that mega fight. If Andre gets Charlo, you've got to get a percentage of Char of Andre's purse. I mean, I have been beating the drum for Andre Charlo for at least six months, if not longer. It seems like every time I do a podcast, it comes up uh, with one, one of my guests. It's just... It's the only natural fight you could possibly make. I mean, Andrade is headlining this weekend, but it's against Luke Keeler, and he's like a thousand to one favorite. If he wins that fight and there's not a super fight next, he's probably going to fight someone like Liam Williams, who he would be like a thousand to one favorite up against. The same thing, though, can be said for Jamal Charlo. His ratings on Showtime tanked in 2019. He does not have a natural next fight. He cannot get Golovkin or Canelo Alvarez. If he fights a Chris Eubank, which is what they were trying to line up with those two fighting on the same card, there's really no mainstream interest in that fight either. Those two guys need each other. They need to fight each other, and the winner of that fight can make himself a compelling case that he is now the top fighter at 160 pounds. Yeah, it's not rocket science. I mean, these guys need to fight, and you bring up Charlo with, with his ratings, and he's kind of citing the fact, I'm not fighting on an app. I'm not fighting on his own. But, dude, you're not really breaking the mold there on Showtime. And let me let me add just one more thing, too. Like, sometimes, you know, with a guy like Demetrius Andrade for years, the risk was not worth the reward. You can't say that now. Demetrius Andrade has a piece of the middleweight title, and more importantly, Eddie Hearn made an offer to Charlo of $7 million, Crazy. like $7 million. I had this conversation down in South Florida with Paul Andrade recently, his father and his trainer. I mean, Paul was like, what more are we supposed to do? Mm -hmm. He made the offer $7 million. We've got a belt. What more can a, a fighter or promoter do but make a huge money offer and offer a world title opportunity? I, I don't like saying often that fighters are ducking, but... What else can you say in a situation like this if the money is big and the title opportunity is there? Right. And think with Andre, do you think he'll come out and his style has always been something that people like to point to as a negative? Do you think he ha I think he has the capability to he showed it in his, in, in a previous fight to to stand in the in trade, to stand in trade, maybe get a knockout, maybe get hit a little bit. Golovkin got hit a bunch of times and it got him a fight with Canelo. Do you think Andre will Eventually, it's kind of sad to say, have to change his style up a little bit, trade a little more in order to you know, entice some of these fighters. I hope so, because 
Look, I thought Demetrius Andrade made a career miscalculation in his last fight against Maciek Zalecki, had him down in the first round, was outclassing him, and then decided to put the brakes on and cruise to one of those 12-round decisions. You just you just don't gain anything from a public perception standpoint by going to a decision. Now, Luke Keeler is a solid fighter, don't get me wrong, but the best of Demetrius Andrade should be able to stop Luke Keeler. I was, ta- I was having this conversation with Luis Arias, who was Luke Keeler's last opponent. He, you know, Keeler won that fight against Arias and got him this opportunity. Arias told me he was down in camp with Andre. Arias said, Andre should stop this guy. But one thing about Keeler is that he will be in incredible shape. He'll be ready to go the distance. So we're going to need Demetrius Andre to step on the gas and go for the knockout if he wants to make this fight relevant for his career. Yes, the main event over in Miami should be a crazy scene. Super Bowl week uh, over on the zone. Back to Canelo, you brought up Billy Joe Saunders. That seem like it's going to be the front runner. I feel like that's a fight that it could be sellable. And I also think it could be a competitive fight. Because I think that Billy Joe Saunders is a guy that needs to be motivated, and what better motivation than Canelo Alvarez? Yeah, I think Billy Joe is the front runner. Uh, from my understanding, Canelo's team, Eddie Reynoso, uh, have been very outspoken behind the scenes about this is the fight they want, and this is the guy that they want. You know, Billy Joe Saunders, a very good tactical fighter, but perhaps just as important in the context of selling this fight is a very big talker. So, you know, even though he'll come in as probably a significant underdog, he is going to talk this fight up and make it at least more compelling to the to the mainstream audience because of that. One caveat I would say to all this is that while I don't think it happens next, there is still the possibility Canelo could throw a wrench in all this and say, I want to fight in Japan next. This has been something that's been on Canelo's mind for a long time. He brought it up to me in Saudi Arabia when I did the interview with him before the Andy Ruiz fight. We talked about it again in late December. He told me the stories of how he was a teenager. He would go to Tokyo. He would watch the Kameda brothers fight. He would long for that opportunity to fight overseas and fight uh, in Tokyo. So I think that's going to happen in 2020. I think more likely it happens in the fall. But my understanding is it has not been ruled out in May for Canelo's next fight to be in Tokyo. And and they got a champ there. They got Murata. Would it always have to be against a Japanese fighter, or do you think he'll fight anyone in Japan just to say, because that's a dream of his? Look, I think the most likely scenario is that he fights Murata. Murata is, of course, affiliated with Top Rank, which has a deal with ESPN, but my understanding is that Top Rank wouldn't stand in the way of you know, Murata making that fight on DAZN. And for people that don't know, DAZN is huge over in Japan. They broadcast Major League Baseball games over there. I think it's their biggest market, so... It would make a lot of sense to fight Murata. You fill up a major venue, you know, 70, 80,000 fans might conceivably see Canelo versus Murata. So that's something. I do think you could also do Golovkin over there if you wanted to. It just wouldn't have the same resonance with the local audience. When you took this job at the zone, did you think that you would be traveling the world calling fights? I mean, Saudi Arabia, they're talking about Istanbul for, for Joshua's next fight. I mean, this is crazy. No, certainly not Saudi Arabia, that's for sure. I did believe the UK was was likely, given given the givens with Anthony Joshua. I don't but I think the Istanbul stuff is just a pipe dream. I, I think AJ will fight in the UK in his next fight. I don't think I think he will continue to travel the world and periodically fight in these far flung type of locations, uh, you know, so unconventional locations, but I think he'll be back 
in a British soccer stadium against Kubrat Pulev uh, sometime in April. Yeah, that's that's what I just read uh, from from Joshua. How about the the scene that we got in heavyweights? That's we're, we're jumping all over here. But Wilder Fury, their press conference. We just saw that they're gonna have another press conference next week. Who are you leaning towards in this one? It's a tough one to to gauge because both guys seem to be at their peak. Yeah, I'm fascinated uh, by this rematch. If for no other reason that I'd like to see which one of these fighters has benefited the most from putting off the fight. The immediate rematch, of course, was supposed to be last spring. They both took those uh, two interim fights. You know, you can argue that Tyson Fury should be better because he was coming off two low-level fights or fighting Wilder the first time, but didn't look great against Otto Valen, had that cut against Valen, and fired his trainer after that fight. So that's, that's part of it. And for Deontay Wilder, even though age isn't the most significant thing in his career because of how he fights, doesn't need to, or doesn't try even to win decisions, he is getting into his mid-30s right now. And at some point, that becomes a factor. Fury is the younger fighter. And you wonder if, you know, another year, two more fights, two more training camps, which as any fighter will tell you is where the real damage gets done to a fighter's body, if that's taken any type of toll on Deontay Wilder. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up which who has kind of aged better, sort of say, since, the, since they put off uh, the rematch. For Wilder, it's only been eight rounds. And then you go over to, to Fury, I guess it's, what, 13 rounds? But 13 really hard rounds. Two, no, maybe 14 rounds, but two against Swords that were nothing. But those that cut that he suffered against Valine, I think it's being something that's not talked about enough, the scar tissue. We saw it just past weekend uh, with J-Rock. He had scar tissue, and that opened up right away. I think that's going to be in the back of Fury's mind. I also think that's why, take it for what you will in their press conference, why Fury said, I'm going to start a firefight. I'm going to get into the middle of the ring and take him out. Do you think Fury in the back of his mind goes, there's no possible way I can walk another tightrope with Deontay Wilder. I have to go in there and take him out. No, I, look, I don't think Tyson Fury is going into this fight thinking I'm going to knock you know, Deontay Wilder out. I, I do think it is a strong strategic move to try to back Wilder up. If you just let him kind of keep positioning himself and positioning himself and getting ready for that big right hand, you're eventually going to get hit with something. And, you know, the guys that have had some success against him, including Tyson Fury, have done well being active and backing him up and making him be a little more defensive. I do think the cut is is a variable here, and I'm curious, and I'm going to try to get down to Wilder's camp in the next couple of weeks, if the training is different. I mean, Wilder's never been this prolific jabber, but if you do have kind of a target there to aim at, does he get more active with that jab and try to open it up to create even more of an advantage for himself in a fight like this? So there's a lot of intrigue to it. I think that's why that's clearly the number one fight in the first half of 2020. Yeah, it's going to be massive. Back a bit, you know, Wilder does, he has a decent jab. He's one of only three fighters to land more than 30% of their jab. It's him, Joshua, and Golovkin. He just doesn't throw it a lot, but he does land it. Same thing for his power shots. It, it is. Look, it, it's a, it's... It's a weapon, but for Wilder, it's more of a range finder, right? Like Golovkin, it's a power jab. Right. You're looking to score points with that jab. Even Demetrius Andre, when he throws that jab, it's a strong jab. Right. But for Wilder, it's sort of like pawing it out there. You make contact. You're just trying to set up that cannon that's coming behind it. Exactly. Every one of his big knockouts, oh, that right hand, is it's, it's set up from a jab, whether it lands or, or, or not. Lastly, which sideshow do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about potentially seeing... An A.B. versus Logan Paul fight, or should we talk about what we saw this past weekend with McGregor potentially going up against Pacquiao or Mayweather? I'll let you choose. You know, I, I don't like. If I wasn't, 
I, pr- I wouldn't certainly wouldn't cover Logan Paul versus AB if I wasn't part of the DAZN broadcast team. And even that, that's not a fight they would have uh, myself or Sergio or, or Brian Kenny call out there, just like they didn't do it uh, the last time around. I, I, but I'm just not like I'm almost more upset about the possibility of Mayweather McGregor because I have no problem with Mayweather coming back into the ring. I think he's still in good enough shape to fight at a reasonably high level. I wouldn't even mind seeing a rematch between Mayweather and Pacquiao at this point. Manny Pacquiao, I I will never say Manny Pacquiao is ducking anybody. If he doesn't want to fight Errol Spence, screw it. The guy's earned it. Like he he was fighting top flight competition, you know, when Errol Spence was like 12 years old. Like it it doesn't, (laughs) he has proved enough in my mind. So if he wants to fight Mayweather in a less dangerous fight, I'm all for it. But we know the outcome of Mayweather McGregor. They're going to ask you for $100 to watch Mayweather McGregor. I mean, I just don't see it. I mean, that, no matter what McGregor says, I was I was preparing to fight a guy fighting off his back foot. It doesn't matter. He has no chance to beat Mayweather in a boxing match, just like Mayweather has no chance of beating him in the octagon. So, I, you know, Logan Paul, Antonio Brown, whatever. It's for the, the YouTube crowd that's been subscribing. First for Logan Paul in the, the last fight, and now for his brother Jake in the fight coming up January 30th. I get the business strategy there. Mayweather McGregor, it's just a money grab to see how many people still think that McGregor might be able to beat him. Pacquiao's another name, too, being thrown in with McGregor. How come McGregor isn't bringing up Canelo Alvarez? Out of all those three guys, uh, Mayweather, Pacquiao, and, and Canelo, they're all equal popularity, I, I think, at this point. But only one of them is actual same size as McGregor. McGregor fought his last fight at 170. He's about five foot nine. Five foot nine, 170. That's Canelo Alvarez. I don't see McGregor barking up that tree. You know, it, it's a good point. Uh, maybe part of it's because Canelo like has consistently sort of shrugged his shoulders at stuff like that yeah, and doesn't do that. seem at all interested. Now, maybe if somebody presented Canelo with the business model of it and said, "Here, you can make you know double the thirty-five million you're guaranteed with the zone," maybe then he get interested. But one thing I do respect about Canelo is that he's just constantly about legacy, and you can quibble with his. His choice of opponents here or there, but beating Kovalev established him as a legitimate light heavyweight champion. If he fights Billy Joe Saunders, he will be a legitimate 168-pound champion against a guy that's still really good in Billy Joe Saunders. So he he rarely takes those kind of gimme type of fights. So I don't I don't think Canelo at this point in his career is interested in McGregor, but it, it certainly would be. Uh, especially with McGregor fighting at 170, it certainly would be a more comparable physical matchup. Yeah, Canelo's at a different stage in his career than than, um, than Mayweather impacted. But do you think Logan Paul, Antonio Brown, that happens? Do we see that in 2020? I do think that happens. Uh, you see the video of Antonio yes. Brown training. Look, Logan Paul's made it clear he's all in, so that side of the deal is currently closed. Antonio Brown, certainly you... You never know what you're going to get, and you don't know if he's going to do it until he actually steps in the ring. But I certainly believe there is strong momentum to see that fight sometime this spring. How big is Antonio Brown? I know he plays in the NFL. He's got to, you know, I know weight-wise, but Logan Paul seems like a pretty tall guy. I've never actually seen him up close. You have. What's the, the size comparison there? Yeah, look, I think both of them are comparable in weight because Brown, after an NFL career, is very well-muscled. Uh, but Antonio Brown, or sorry, Logan Paul does have a, a height advantage in that one. Not not that any of it matters. It's no. not like this is you know going to be this tactical matchup. Just no. like Logan Paul versus KSI was not a tactical matchup. Wasn't bad fight. The first one was their first fight was a lot better. KSI Logan Paul. Second one, not. I've seen worse. Listen, I've counted a well, lot of I mean, fights. Well, if you've seen worse, then get ready. If Jake Paul wins this fight against uh, 
I don't even know the name of the guy's fight. But if Jake Something Paul wins his next fight, you're going to get Jake Paul versus KSI at some point oh, yeah, before maybe. the summertime as well. Sign me up. Oh, tonight when you see LeBron, will he be asked about Conor McGregor? He tweeted about McGregor, so I expect someone in the scrum to ask him about McGregor. It won't be me, that's for sure. There you go. Chris Maddox covering fights for the zone, rights for SI.com. Thank you for joining us here on Inside Box Live. See you down in Miami, man. You got it, Deb.